Well, I am not Pastor John Weil. Um, he uh, is sick today and not able to join us. Um, if you access this week's study guide, you'll get some of the notes that you would have experienced in the message. Um, but I'm not going to try to recreate what John might have said. We are going to spend a little bit of time uh, with further reflections on Hebrews 11. So if you want to open up to Hebrews 11, you sure can do that. Um, and then uh, we're going to spend a little more time with communion this morning. Uh, just at our last elder board meeting, the elders were saying, you know, I really miss when we had sharing time on communion Sundays. And so guess what? Today we get to do it. Uh, so you can be thinking, uh, I mean, let's think and focus on Hebrews 11 a little bit and, and on the communion experience, but you can also be just preparing your minds and your hearts uh, to see if God might lay something on your heart that you can share with the congregation about ways that you've seen God work in your life, answers to prayer, maybe even uh, a prayer request that you want to share with us today. Um, or a, a verse that's been meaningful to you recently. And after we take communion, there will be opportunities for you to share that, and we will be blessed as we experience that together. <clears throat> as we turn our attention to Hebrews 11, there are just a couple things that I'd like to highlight. So it, it won't be cutely packaged, uh, but you're used to that from me anyway. So um, but as we reflect on this description of faith through our history in God's family, person after person who had demonstrated faith, it's, I think, important to highlight a couple things that have been echoing in my mind this week. So I'm going to reread Hebrews 11.1, 1, this great definition for us. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's important that we remember, as we looked at last week, that our assurance is not in the fact that we know exactly how things will play out or that we have this great confidence that God will do exactly what we've asked him to do. Our assurance isn't the same as certainty in our current circumstances. Our peace comes from the certainty that we have in God and his ability to bring us safely into his kingdom, as we talked about last week. But that uncertainty about how it's going to play out in our lives is where we need faith. We have to trust that God will bring us through this even when we don't necessarily know how to see around the corner to figure out what's waiting for us. And we have this beautiful and gracious remembrance of these people in God's family. This reminder in uh, Hebrews 11.6 that without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But that we hear about Enoch and, and Noah and Abraham and Sarah 
And the list goes on and on. And this is a very gracious remembrance of these people, right? And it's important for us to remember that as well. Sometimes just for uh, kind of our, sh- our shorthand, we refer to Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. We talk about these people as if they were heroes, like they, they didn't struggle. They're, they have the kind of faith that we wish we had, right? But it's important for us to recognize that this list of faith in the family of God is not meant to highlight the ability of these people, but to highlight what God has done in and through them. The first couple we don't know enough about to know where they struggled. Certainly even with Abel, though, uh, there weren't even laws and rules about what that offering was supposed to be. And so uh, he was moved and he trusted God in a way that was unique from his brother. And God blessed that faith and responded to it. Noah, in his story in Genesis, uh, the account of his life in Genesis from Genesis 6 through 9, certainly uh, we know that God declared that he was righteous, that he was living by faith, and that he was unique among all the people around him. As we read to the end of his life, we know that he still struggled and not everything he did was perfect and his family got kind of messy. Abraham, the father of God's people, is recorded as having great faith here, but we know that that didn't happen first, right? He had a couple experiences where he was in the presence of kings, and he got nervous that the king might want to take his wife from him, and he lied about his relationship and said she was just his sister, They knew this promise was coming. That God had promised them descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. But it was taking a long time. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we remember Abraham that when he was called to go to this new home, he went. He made his home there, even though he didn't know how it was going to play out. And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore, just as as God had promised. But before they got the child of the promise, Sarah and Abraham tried to work together to figure out how they could help God accomplish his promise in their lives. And they decided the best course of action, since Sarah still wasn't having kids, was for Abraham to have a child with her maidservant. And we know that that didn't play out very well. Uh, Ishmael was born. 
but then there was animosity in their family uh, and this discord in their family in the history to this day. Isaac and Ishmael, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims. And so while God remembers these people generously and graciously on our behalf, and we can see the work of God in their lives as we look back on history, it's important for us to not put them on a pedestal and think that there's someone, some different kind of category of people. That they had a different kind of faith than the way we experience faith in our own daily lives as we face the challenges that we face. They were called to the same kind of faith that we are called to. To trust God when we don't know how it's going to play out. And sometimes they did it really well. And God gave him a gold star in Hebrews 11 for those moments. But those weren't the only moments in their lives. And so it's important that we recognize that God is at work in us as regular people, as human beings whom he has called and who he has redeemed through Jesus. And then as it describes in Hebrews 11 that not all these faithful people experienced blessing and wonder. Paul describes, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Even when it looks like the brokenness of the world is defeating us, when we remain faithful in the midst of that, the life and power and victory of Jesus is revealed to the people around us. So death is at work in us. We feel and experience the brokenness of this world, the hardship of life in this world. But as we trust in Jesus, the people around us see the power of God at work in us to know what God is capable of and to know that he can rescue us in our brokenness and bring us to be his children and safely into his kingdom. And so the testimonies in Hebrews 11 are not meant to help us make heroes out of these people, but to inspire us to run the race that we'll talk about next week, stay true to the course, fix our eyes on Jesus, and see what he's going to do as he works out his plan in our lives, regardless of the circumstances. So, Hebrews 11, part 2. This morning we do, as I mentioned, have the opportunity to come to the Lord to receive communion. Since we have time, I'm going to help us remember 
the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus as well. Let us listen to the story of our Lord's suffering and death for us as given in the Holy Scriptures. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Next week, in Hebrews 12, we'll hear this encouragement to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We'll hear this challenge and encouragement to remember all that Jesus went through at the hands of sinners so that we won't give up in our own battle against our own sin. Because we know that sin is deadly. It's destructive. It separates us from God and it leads us to despair. Eternal separation from Him. We get a little glimpse of the difference between being redeemed by faith and living out the destruction of sin in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, where it says, by faith, the people passed through the, the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. We are all sinners, and we'll hear more about that in a moment. But when we turn to Jesus, and we trust Him, and we let God use Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for our sins. We're forgiven. We 
we move from being enemies with God to being God's children. And we're restored. But if we resist and reject Jesus, then the plight of the Egyptians happens to us. We need to be rescued. And Jesus has come to do that. So let us hear the gracious invitation of our Lord given to us in the Holy Scriptures. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to pray with me as I pray a prayer of confession. Almighty God, our Creator and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. That we have sinned against you in thought, word, Indeed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Therefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy and ask you for Christ's sake to forgive us all our sins. By your Holy Spirit, increase in us true knowledge of your will, that by your grace we may walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.